0: Sling and spells down the street. Same old decks we played last week. It's empty. We're all alright. We're all alright. The MTG in Quarantine Podcast. Hey yo, what is up everybody? My name is MJ and you are listening to the one and only MTG in Quarantine Podcast. Where our motto is EDH, community, now and always. Before we get to the rest of today's episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to my local game store, Guardian Games. You can find Guardian Games on the web at ggportland.com. I'd also like to give a huge shout-out and thank you to all the awesome people who support me over at patreon.com slash So It's a huge right of thank you to Mr. Big Benz, Nick S., Frugal Brutal, and Coach J. Rowe for supporting the show. If you'd like to help support the show and help me make more awesome content, head on over to patreon.com slash quarantine for more information. You can also pick up your very own MTG in quarantine branded playmat over at Inked Gaming, that's INKEDGAMING.com. Got two really awesome versions, both the full color logo as well as a grayscale version. They both look killer. You're gonna want one for you and all of your friends. So go on over to Inked Gaming, that is INKEDGaming.com. I'll be dropping the link tree link in the description of this episode. So you can go pick up that, use the affiliate code. Every purchase helps support the channel, and is greatly appreciated. Also, if you like what you've heard here on either this episode or any of the MTG in Quarantine podcast episodes you've listened to, definitely drop me a good review on your podcast outlet of choice. Every good review definitely helps me try to deal with that dratted algorithm and hopefully helps grow the channel, helps get gets this episode and other episodes like it in front of more listeners. So definitely go on, do that if you haven't already. Anyway, today's episode is going to be my first look, or my first thoughts anyway, on the new Lord of the Rings crossover set from Universes Beyond with Magic the Gathering. So, I'm just going to put a couple disclaimers out here. First and foremost, I've only seen the movies. I have not read the books. For Lord of the Rings, I enjoy the movies. So, I at least understand most of the references in here, but again, I am not an expert on anything tolkien I can only kind of go off of my own understanding of the lore as well as my understanding of Magic the Gathering. So, again, I'm probably going to be missing a lot of flavor things here. That's okay. You know, it's, it's just a first look. I don't expect everything to be perfect or, honestly, anything to be correct. So, yeah. And the other thing is that, you know, we are still very early on here in this process, but I want to put a spoiler warning for anyone who is isn't interested in hearing about these cards right now but will potentially be interested in checking this out when the set is officially previewed or, you know, in in its entirety anyway. So if you are in the camp where you would not necessarily want to listen to all these spoilers, just want to give you a heads up that this would probably be a good time to close the episode for the time being and come back to it when the whole episode or sorry, when the whole set, excuse me, has been released. I, I definitely want to keep you on here listening to the episode. But again, it's up to you if you would like to hear about these spoilers or not. So without out of that yeah, so with yeah, excuse me, with that out of the way, um, yeah, I'm I'm gonna just jump right into things. So I'm recording this on March fifteenth, twenty twenty-three. There have only been two days worth of previews here for this set. And honestly, if the discourse on Magic the Gathering Twitter is any indication, people are super excited for this set. Now I know I've talked multiple times about how I'm not necessarily really into the universes beyond. Um, I I feel like it kind of diverges from what really makes magic special, especially since I'm a Vorthos player. So I really love the storyline stuff. But I mean, again, to be honest, Lord of the Rings really has a huge influence on pretty much any kind of high fantasy setting these days, including magic, the gathering. So I feel like versus a lot of the other crossovers we've had like this one for me is definitely already one of my favorites. It's like this at least feels this has the magic the gathering feel to it while also just, you know, Lord of the Ring kicking ass as usual. So, anyway, yeah, I'm I'm just going to get started here from the top of the list based on Scryfall. Obviously, if you want to check these out for yourselves, you can go over to scryfall.com. Right now, they've got a whole uh, first look of all the cards that've officially been previewed, and I know that by the time this episode gets released, there's going to be more cards. Just deal with it. You know, I'm I, I just wanted to get this out right now while you know all these cards are fresh in my mind, and you know we've already seen a lot of the main characters already, so I feel like I can have a pretty good, uh, pretty good grasp on things. And I'm going to read out the cards. Some of them are reskinned cards that exist already. So I'm not really going to spend a lot of time talking about those, but I really want to talk about the new cards. Obviously, that's probably the reason why you're here to listen. You're not necessarily here to listen to the Great Henge reprint, although, um, you know, that that's going to be huge, especially since the Great Henge is like a $70 card right now. So actually, it's more than that. But anyway, yeah, it's an expensive card right now, so having any sort of reprint is going to be pretty awesome, as well as the one-of-one one, uh, one ring That, yeah, yeah, yes, I mean, that is just making Twitter go absolutely insane right now. So, anyway, without further ado, I'd like to jump in, and I'm actually going to start with the basic lands here. So, again, I mentioned at the top of the show that I've never actually read the books. I guess I don't read as much as I used to anymore. It's kind of sad, but, you know, it it is what it is. But I just love these lands for what they are. I feel like a lot of land art kind of goes unsung in in magic the gathering i mean i know a lot of people do enjoy the lands i mean it's like these are the card types we see the most often when we actually play the game but i guess sometimes we kind of forget how special that art can be and effectively if you haven't seen these yet they are breaking up the the map effectively of middle earth into the five basic land types based obviously on which uh which, which color land we're talking about. So, you know, for your swamps, you're going to have the one with with Mordor, with Mount Doom in there, with the, the islands. You're going to have the coastal communities, the forests. You have the, you know, the old forest, whatnot, Mirkwood, uh, Lorien. You know, just all of the, everything kind of fits. And mountains have the Misty Mountains, obviously, which, you know, makes perfect sense. And, yeah, it's like, and then the planes, you have Rohan, you have the Shire, and again, yeah, so there are two versions of each showing a different part of the map of, of Middle-earth, and these are amazing. I know people are going to really want to pick these up uh, in, in bulk, because they are awesome. I don't know if we've ever really seen a map on an official Magic the Gathering card before, so, I mean, you know, outside of, like, Expedition Map, but, like, a real map map, like this, and these are really cool. I know these things are going to just shoot up in price. They are awesome, and uh, if you haven't had a chance to check them out, I highly recommend you do so. Yeah, so I'm going to get started here with, you know, w- with, with the main cards from the set um, in in order that they are on the Scryfall database. So we're going to start off with Sam Loyal Attendant. Uh, Sam Loyal Attendant is a 2-4 Halfling Peasant, costing 2 and Selesnia, so green and a white, Reads, partner with Frodo, adventurous hobbit. So we have the partner mechanic here with a specific card. Haven't seen that in a while. Um, But again, it makes sense flavor-wise. At the beginning of combat on your turn, create a food token. And activated abilities of foods you control cost one less to activate. So it's really cool that Sam not only gives you an opportunity to... uh, potentially utilize Sam and Frodo as their commanders for, for EDH. Since this is an EDH, or mostly an EDH podcast, I obviously look at that first. But the idea that you're able to create a food token every combat is really cool. Um, again, I, I don't really know if we've seen a lot of activi- activated abilities of foods other than the sacrifice ability. But again, the ability to use Sam's uh, Sam's ability here, for, for lack, of, again, lack of a better term, terrible grammar choice anyway. But who cares? It's my podcast. Um, the, the cool thing is that once you have a couple of foods out here, all of a sudden you can sacrifice your foods for free to gain three life, but it also makes me wonder, um, I have heard rumblings of a potato token potentially here, or, you know, at least a potato-themed food token, um, but it also makes me wonder if we might see more food, uh, food-type cards. I mean, we really haven't seen anything outside of just a standard food token since they were originally introduced back in Eldraine a couple of years ago and this actually does make me wonder is is this supposed to be a kind of a jumping off point for for more food cards are we going to start seeing food-based permanents that are not tokens i'm i guess i'm just curious about that also the fact that uh, sam's card is based on food is is funny as heck honestly it's just very flavorful for at least as much as i know from the lore and um if it if they do potato tokens, that would be absolutely hilarious. Alright, next we're gonna move on to Radagast Wizard of Wilds. So again, this I think this actually goes back to the Hobbit more than anything. But um, or yeah, yeah. But but again, you know, I, I haven't read the books, so I can only go off what I know. So Radagast Wizard of Wilds is a 3-5 Avatar Wizard costing two green and a blue. It has Ward 1. So basically kind of the Simic Starter Pack at this point. Beasts and birds you control have Ward 1. And whenever you cast a spell with mana value 5 or greater, choose one. You either create a 3-3 green beast creature token, or you create a 2-2 blue bird creature token with flying. Basically, Radagast just gives you a really nice way to be able to make an army in a can if you're dropping high MV spells. And again, what's really cool about this, it says whenever you cast a spell with mana value 5 or greater, it doesn't necessarily mean you actually have to be uh, paying retail for that. There's plenty of ways, especially in blue... To have your like omnipotence effects where you can just cast things for free, so I I feel like this this is a really cool Simic commander because not only does it kind of push you towards the beasts and birds creature types, but you also don't actually have to do that. I love the modality on this card is that you can run this in multiple ways. Again, just being a 3-5 for 4 mana is really cool. Having Ward, giving all of your other creatures Ward if they are a beast or a bird. But again, just the fact that you can uh, play pretty much anything. Simic loves ramping, and you can just play a whole bunch of high mana value, like even sea creatures, honestly, you could play in, in this sort of shell. And then all of your beasts and birds you create off of those high mana value spells end up getting protected by Radagast. So I could easily see this just going in multiple different directions. Seems like a very interesting commander um, for, for multiple things. Also, the fact that Radagast is an avatar is kind of cool. So some, definitely something to look out for. <clears throat> I'm, I'm, so the next couple of cards on right here, I'm just going to give a shout out. There is a reskin for Soul Ring where we have Sauron forging the one or like, you know, having the the one ring forged effectively really cool art definitely got to go check that out we have a reskin for the great henge as the party tree uh, the bridge of khazad-dûm as Ensnaring bridge valley of gorgoroth as wasteland yeah so i mean we're we're seeing some very cool some very cool cards that are very useful especially in edh and cdh um, be be reprinted with lord of the rings themes. so that's really cool Obviously, then we have a whole bunch of uh, Soul Ring variants here. And, I mean, it, 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 again, it's just going to be really cool to, to have these different variants out there, especially for the collectors who are going to want to collect these cards, but it still keeps Soul Ring super cheap for the rest of us. And again, like I mentioned, there is going to be a serialized version of the One Ring. I will get to the One Ring here in a moment, but apparently there's only going to be one actual copy of it in existence. And, you know, people are obviously talking about how much, you know, wh- what they would do with the card. I've heard people saying they would eat the card, rip the card, or try to throw it into a volcano. Um, that seems a little bit extreme for a, excuse me, for a Magic the Gathering card, but, you know, you do you, folks. Um, yeah, but, but it's really cool to actually legitimately have the one ring representing the one ring. Yeah, that is so cool. Alright, moving on to the, the single-color cards, or sorry, the mono cards here. We start off with Frodo Sauron's Bane. Now, this is not to be confused with Frodo Adventurous Hobbit that was mentioned on Sam's card a few minutes ago. Uh, yeah, so Frodo Sauron's Bane is a 1-2 Halfling Citizen costing a single white mana, but has hybrid mana abilities, so you can pay Orzhov, Orzhov, so white-black, white-black, if Frodo Sauron's Bane is a citizen, it becomes a halfling scout with base power and toughness 2/3 and lifelink. Yeah, so we're already starting to see the duality of Frodo's journey here with the one ring, the fact that he starts out as a single white mana, but the fact is he's starting to be tempted by the dark side effectively. So that's where the adding the black mana makes this really cool. Yeah, and again it also changes his creature type from citizen to scout, which it seems I mean, a little weird, I guess, in, in the magic templating, but again, who cares? As magic gathering. It's a pretty awesome card. Yeah, and then if you pay three black... Yeah, three black mana. So no white mana, but just three black mana. If Frodo is a scout, it becomes a halfling rogue with whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, that player loses the game if the ring has tempted you four or more times this game. Otherwise, the ring tempts you. Yeah, so at this point in time, we don't know what being tempted by the ring actually does... So it seems like it'll be a very cool mechanic to have there, but again, we have to remember that Frodo is effectively going to be, what is this, uh, six mana for a 2-3 with lifelink, Um, who who has an interesting combat damage trigger, who will be able to at least take out a player if you want. I mean, it's very easy, especially in EDH, to make Frodo unblockable, I can definitely see this kind of going down that same road as, what was it, Ramsey's Overdark, I believe, with the Assassin and Rogue Tribal? Came out in the last Commander Legends set, I believe. Um, But again, this is going to take some setup, especially since Frodo doesn't actually really allow you to be tempted by the ring. um, You know outside of that combat damage trigger. So, yeah, we're definitely going to have to see what being tempted by the ring exactly means, but it's it's some pretty cool design space and definitely seems flavorful, especially since when you look at the art, Frodo is literally standing in Mount Doom preparing to throw the ring into the fire. So it definitely seems very flavorful, very, very cool, and um, just makes me wonder if we're going to see a version of Sam as well from, from this pivotal sequence. Next card up is here is Reprieve. An instant causing one in a white says return target spell to its owner's hand and draw a card. And again, what folks on Twitter have been talking about, especially, is that if you this actually gets around uncounterable spells, so white has, has several cards that allow you to return spells to their opponent's, opponent's hand. And so, this gets around anything that's uncounterable. This also legitimately gets around pretty much anything. It says target spell, so you know. It gives white a really good way to be able to deal with things on the stack. So this is definitely going to be a CDH card. And you also get to draw a card. So for two mana, you not only really get to potentially counter something, especially like in CDH where the margins for things are so thin that, uh, you know, pushing uh, even like a two or three mana spell back to someone's hand could legitimately wreck their entire turn. Imagine dropping... Dropping an Underworld Breach, getting ready to go through the combo there, and then having someone drop Reprieve, so you have to send Breach back to your hand, where it's actually the most useless it can possibly be is in your hand, I think, versus being in your graveyard, versus being on the field, versus being in your hand. Breach is pretty good, but Reprieve is pretty good as well. And the fact you get to draw a card, you get to cantrip off this... This card is amazing. I guarantee this is going to be CDH staple going forward. You can book that, and if I'm wrong, it happens, but that is my theory on this one. Oh, there, there's the Sam card. Uh, Sam, why is the Stouthearted? 2-1 <laughs> Halfling Peasant. You see, it, it, it pays to actually look at the cards that are coming up, you know? Uh, yeah, so 2-1 one, one, Halfling Peasant for 1 and a white, uh, Samwise the Stouthearted has Flash, and when Samwise the Stouthearted enters the battlefield, choose up to one target permanent card in your graveyard that was put there from the battlefield this turn. Return it to your hand, then the ring tempts you. So, Sam looks like a really cool way just to just be able to get stuff back from your graveyard back to your hand. Um, again, we don't know what the ring tempting you does. I kind of have a feeling that, you know, the more you get tempted by the ring, there's going to be some payoffs where you're or some sort of, I, I guess, uh, negative effect for getting tempted by the ring too many times. I mean, it, it I, I guess I wonder if this is kind of a, kind of a poison or infect type situation where, you know, you get X number of times that the ring tempts you before you lose. And it, it just makes you wonder, you know, are there going to be ways to remove ring temptation? Or is this going to be a counter type? Um, just some, some interesting things to think about, but, if you just want to look at it on the face here, it's a two-one for two flash. You're able to return something from that was hit the ba- sorry, hit the graveyard from the battlefield that turn and return it to your hand. White loves to do these sorts of effects. I'm honestly surprised that it's not it's not actually returning the card to the battlefield, but again the fact that, you know, that would kind of be busted in its own way, I guess it makes sense. Um also, the fact that it has a downside, like I said, with the ring tempting you, is interesting design space, so we'll definitely have to see what uh, what the ring tempts you means, but this is a really cool card, and uh, has an interesting design space, as well as flavor space. Next thing up here is obviously one of the most memorable moments from the Lord of the Rings movies, and that is you cannot pass. It's an instant costing a single white mana. It reads, target, or, sorry, destroy target creature that blocked or is blocked by a legendary creature this turn. Obviously not the most exciting thing for a lot of folks, but definitely a cool ca- a small removal spell for, uh, for, for just any kind of legendary creature that you have. Let's say you're trying to do a Voltron strategy and you don't want your commander to die. Um, you could have a creature like a Leshu Smiles of Death, let's say, who has, who has to attack um, to be able to get some sort of trigger I I really see this as being the kind of card that helps those commanders, those legendary creatures especially, that have necessary attack triggers to be able to get some sort of effect. That All of a sudden, for one white mana, you can effectively get your damage through, but also not lose your creature in the process. So just a very interesting feels like a very draftable, limited card, honestly, because we, we've definitely seen destroy target-blocking creature kind of cards before, and this definitely feels feels flavorful. A lot of people are going to definitely feel disappointed that this doesn't do more, especially since, you know, it is literally Gandalf dealing with the Balrog. I mean, it's it's one of the most epic sequences in the movies, for, for sure. But, um, you know, it's... I... I guess it makes sense from, from a design standpoint, because the Balrog is technically trying to stop Gandalf from crossing the bridge of khazad Doom. so I guess it feels flavorful. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely have to see. I know people are going to be disappointed about that, but you know what? Too bad. Uh, moving on, we have Gollum, Patient Plotter. Gollum is a 3-1 halfling whore. Again, very flavorful. Costing one and a black. reads, when Gollum, patient plotter, leaves the battlefield, the ring tempts you. It's interesting, so the Gollum has to leave the battlefield to have the ring tempt you. That's interesting. Instead of enter the battlefield, we haven't seen a lot of design space like that before. And you can pay black, sacrifice creature, return Gollum from your graveyard to your hand, activate only as a sorcery. So I guess this kind of looks at, um, you know, when Gollum leaves the battlefield, it's kind of like Gollum losing the ring in the movies. You know, so, or, you know, trying to get the ring back but never quite getting it. But also the fact that you can sacrifice a creature to return Gollum from your graveyard to your hand kind of definitely feels like uh, Smeagol being turned into Golem over time. It's like you're sacrificing Smeagol to get to Gollum. So we're obviously going to see some sort of duel, or I feel like we should see some sort of dual card where we have Gollum-Smeagol on one side, on the other side. Um, but this definitely feels like a flavorful card. Being a three, one for two is pretty nice. Um, again, we're gonna have to see what the Ring Tempting you does. But the fact that you can sort of Aristocrat's uh, Golem or use it kind of in the Squee manner is kind of cool. Obviously, has a uh, built-in little built-in sacrifice outlets right on on it from the graveyards. So that's kind of cool um definitely it definitely doesn't seem like the most busted card in this set a lot of people are going to be disappointed by this but i think if once we know what the ring tempting you does and again i say this with a lot of cards i think this could definitely get some play and not just as the commander could definitely in some 99s just because it's nice it's awesome to have that sacrifice a creature on on a body when it's in the graveyard and again you can stack those triggers if you want to. So if you have enough black mana and enough creatures, you could easily chain four or five of those triggers together. I, don't know, I Actually, no, I guess you can't. Since activate... Oh, crap. Activate only as a sorcery. So I guess you can only do that once. Uh, otherwise, yeah, you could have just sacrificed a whole bunch of creatures and used this as a sacrifice outlet, but oh well. But again, you know, that, that makes it a bit more fair, definitely. And I, I know Wizards is trying to make sure that the cards aren't completely busted. So... And that actually makes perfect sense. So bravo, Wizards, you took something that could have been completely ridiculous, and you at least made it more fair. So congratulations. Moving on, we have a card that a lot of folks were complaining about the color identity, and that is Gandalf the Gray. Gandalf the Gray is a 3-4 Avatar Wizard, costing 3 blue-red, and reads, whenever you cast an instant or a sorcery spell, choose one that hasn't been chosen. You may tap or untap target permanent. Gandalf the Great deals three damage to each opponent. Definitely sounds like an Izzet sort of thing, or, you know, at least a mono-red mage. Copy target instant or sorcery spell you control. He may choose new targets for the copy. Now that is an is it ability. And the last one, put Gandalf on top of its owner's library. So a lot of folks have really been talking about how once you've exhausted all the other options, Gandalf runs away. You know, he disappears. He leaves the story. That makes perfect sense. People are probably going to try to blink this card a lot because there's a lot of really cool stuff on here. Ability to tap or untap target permanent is really nice. Obviously, you can bolt something. Well, sorry, you you can bolt each opponent. That's pretty nice. You can copy something, or you can return Gandalf if you absolutely have to. Not necessarily the best way to be able to deal with this. I know a lot of people are going to try to flicker Gandalf to make sure you don't lose him. But again, the ability to have this sort of as as protection against removal is kind of nice too um it, it takes a little bit to get there i feel like you'd really have to load up your deck to, with a lot of cantrips to be able to do that but i think i think gandalf here can go in a lot of ways honestly because i feel like with is it th- th- this card does a lot of things is it wants to do you're going to tap permanence you're going to deal some damage to your opponents you can copy your spells that's all well and good but I feel like you can play this with a lot of flicker effects. You can play with a lot of cantrip effects to be able to get those abilities immediately, or you could honestly just play pretty much any as, as a shell and use Gandalf as kind of a value commander. Where you know you cast a four mana spell. Oh, I can deal three damage to each opponent, or I can copy this cool spell I have. Let's let's say I'm just. You know, going back to my old play group, I mean, we I used to see things like foresee your opportunity a lot because, you know, we're playing a lot of Battlecruiser Magic, so so we could play a six mana draw four card, and it was just perfectly fine. And if you did that with Gandalf here, and it's like, all of a sudden, pay six mana, draw eight cards, not terrible, or, you know, draw four cards, deal three damage to each opponent, or untap untap your land. Let's say you have a, I, I don't know, not necessarily a Cabal of Coffers, but I'm trying, a Nickthos excuse me, a Nykthos. Well, all of a sudden, you've just untapped your those You can make a whole bunch more mana to cast more spells. So I definitely see Gandalf being another one of those commanders where it doesn't necessarily pigeonhole you into doing just one specific thing. And and I think that's what's really cool about these commanders in general, at least these legendary creatures. From what we've seen already, is they don't necessarily fit one vein. I mean, maybe Frodo's a little bit a little bit one note, especially that that combat damage trigger requires someone to have been tempted by the ring a whole bunch to lose the game, which doesn't necessarily work outside of this exact environment, but you know, whatever. This is meant for a limited environment. It's really cool, and I don't care. I just love the modality of these things. Next up, we have Tom Bombadil. Tom Bombadil is a 4-4 god bard costing Wooberg, so white, blue, black, red, green. reads, as long as there are four or more lore counters among sagas you control, Tom Bombadil has hexproof and indestructible, so that's really cool. Whenever the final chapter ability of a saga you control resolves, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a saga card. Put that card on the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. This ability triggers only once each turn. Obviously, people are going to play sagas around this. People love proliferate. We got a lot of that in the most recent standard set. All would be one. And the fact that you can turn a saga into another saga at instant speed is ridiculously good. And the fact that we have all these proliferate cards means that you can proliferate on other folks' turns. So th- again, this is meant to stop you from going off on your turn. But all of a sudden, if you flicker Tom or you know, do any sort of things like that, that resets. But I really think the important thing to think about here is you could really make a good, good Saga deck. A very, if, if we want to go with the power scale, a very high-powered Saga deck but you can also just play this super chill and just, you know, have it be a sorcery speed. It's up to you. I know a lot of folks are going to want to try to make this a broken deck. You know, it it is what it is, you know? It's especially since Tom protects himself very easily. Hexproof indestructible makes it so very few things can hit him. So, unfortunately, this is going to be one of those commanders where folks are going to have to be very careful about how they build this. Because there are going to be folks who are, like, as we've seen with Miriam Sentinel Worm recently, people are going to be very jaded very quickly with this card, playing against it especially. Unless you're, I mean, unless you're playing, like, a higher power, quote, optimized CDH, whatever level, whatever level you want to call this. Um, if, you're, if you're playing more at a cruiser type level, just... Be careful with with this one because just having a hexproof indestructible, it is so easy to get four more lower counters on Sagas. I mean, if you're running, let's say, 30 Sagas and you have two or three of them out on the field and you've had them for a round for a turn, you're good. Tom's going to be a 4-4 four four hexproof indestructible. There are ways to get to deal with, to, to do things with that and it's very difficult to remove. So, I mean, yes, it is very, very prone to enchantment removal, but again, you're running the colors that are very good at protecting yourself. So, you know, just, just saying, like, this, this is going to be one of those commanders that's probably going to be somewhat salt-inducing, honestly. So, yeah, it, it, just a bit of a PSA, just, you know, if you do build this deck, just, you know, be honest about what you're doing up front, because folks could definitely get salty about that. So again, roll zero. There's a reason why it's there. All right. Now, really for the card that everyone wants to talk about, that is the One Ring. The One Ring is a legendary artifact, which makes perfect sense, costing four mana. It's indestructible. When the One Ring enters battlefield, if you cast it, you gain protection from everything until your next turn. Jeez, that doesn't seem uh, broken in its own way, especially, especially if you can bounce back to your hand and recast it. The fact that you get protection from everything is absurdly good. We're going to be seeing a lot of this card going forward, especially since it basically buys you a turn. Um, You know, if if one of your opponents is going to try to kill you, if you're playing in mono red or something, you just drop the one ring, all of a sudden your opponent can't kill you their next turn. This is huge. This is ridiculously huge. And and we haven't even gotten to the, the effect that most people care about yet. Um, At the beginning of your upkeep, you lose one life for each burden counter on the one ring. And you can tap the one ring, put a burden counter on it, and then draw a card for each burden counter on the one ring. What? (laughs) There's literally no cost to this. There's nothing stopping you from untapping, tap, tapping, untapping, tapping, untapping this card and just drawing your deck because again if you if you don't worry about your next turn you can draw your entire deck right here if you have some sort of abilities i've seen you know mind over matter combos with this or you know you could draw a whole bunch of cards and then dump it off on one of your opponents and then they lose a bunch of life and they don't get anything out of it until their next turn um yeah it just it seems like the kind of thing where I feel personally they probably should have put it at about two life for each burden counter on there to make it really painful to utilize if, you know, if you're not going to win on the spot. I, I don't know. It just seems like an extremely good card, probably the best card from this entire set, probably going to be the best card from this entire set, which makes sense. I mean, it's overly powerful. But the fact that it's already, you know, we're looking at at least a $50 card here, it's absurd, Alright, moving on to Mount Doom. Mount Doom is a legendary land where you can tap, pay a life to add a black or red mana. You can pay one black, red, and tap it to deal one damage to each opponent. So Mount Doom deals the damage to each opponent. That's important to remember. And you can pay five black and a red and tap it. Sacrifice Mount Doom and a legendary artifact. Choose up to two creatures, then destroy the rest. Activate only as a sorcery. Very flavorful, because the legendary artifact... That's the One Ring. So the idea being that you can sacrifice the One Ring and Mount Doom to save two creatures and destroy the rest. Well, again, that's supposed to be Frodo and Sam being saved, being spared from the destruction of Mount Doom. Very flavorful. Now, are we going to see... I mean, it's a very over board wipe. It's effectively eight mana, but, you know... and But the fact that it... It can protect a few of your things is kind of cool. So, I mean, I, I guess you could use this to nuke the board if you absolutely had to. I don't know how much we're necessarily going to see this, but again, it's a really cool fixing land for red and black mana. Um, the, the fact that you can deal damage to each opponent for... I mean, it, it's over but again, it, it, it's pretty cool. And, I, and I, I could definitely see myself especially playing this in any, any sort of Rakdos or Rakdos Plus deck um, just because it has some cool abilities. And just the fact that it has a board wipe right on a land, you know, we've never seen anything like that before. So, real cool stuff out there. And then the last card I'm going to talk about here is the Shire. The Shire is a legendary land. Enters the battlefield tapped unless you control a legendary creature. Tap to add green. You can pay one and a green. Tap it and tap and untap creature you control to create a food token. Again, this definitely goes back to Sam at the very top of the episode. Very cool little design space. Um, enters... Enters tapped unless they control legendary creatures, so there's definitely a downside, but the fact that you can kind of spring leaf drum your way into a food token is pretty cool, and you can also just tap for green. So oh actually no, th- there's a couple more cards, excuse me, that I've completely forgot. Moving on through the basic lands, we have Aragorn Arwen Wed. So these this pair is 3-6 human elf noble, costing four green and a white. They have vigilance, and whenever they enter the battlefield or attack. Put a plus one, plus one counter on each other creature you control. You gain one life for each other creature you control. Tokens, Slesnia gaining life. Love it, love it, love it. Three six of Vigilance is no slouch, even for six mana, but the fact that you can put plus one, plus one counters on all of your other creatures. If you're making tokens in Slesnia, this is pretty great. And then then you're gaining life, too. That's pretty awesome. And And it's an attack and an ETB trigger, so you can flicker. You can attack with this card. It's just a really cool design space. So, so yeah, that's nice. And the last one I'm gonna talk about today is Sauron the Lidless Eye. Sauron the Lidless Eye is a 4-4 Avatar Horror, costing 3 black red. It reads when it enters the battlefield, gain control of target creature and opponent controls until end of turn. Untap it. It gets haste until end of turn. It has an activated ability, costing one black-red creatures you control get plus two, plus O, until end of turn, each opponent loses two life. Now, there is an ability where you can stack it, where if you just have a whole bunch of mana and you just want to dump it in, three mana, everyone loses two life, and you also buff your creatures. So you could do this as a way to finish games. You can kill your opponents directly through this damage, or you can give your creatures a really awesome boost. And the fact that it has that... uh, not necessarily the thievery, but I'm trying to remember the exact card type, but the fact you can steal an opponent's creature and give it haste and turn it back on them is pretty cool. Um, having this on, on the battlefield, especially where, you know, you could flicker this if you wanted to, or it's just really nice to have that sort of effect available, especially since you give the other creature haste. Um, yeah, so so it's pretty cool having these two abilities on this card, I feel like, obviously, most people are going to try to find ways to just be able to pump up their creatures or force their opponents to lose life. I just kind of like that modality right there. It's like, if you just need to push through a few points of damage, you can do that as long as you have the mana. If you just really want to give your creatures a nice boost, plus 2 plus 0 is nothing to sneeze at. And the fact you can also steal an opponent's creature is pretty nice, especially if you're trying to finish the game or you're going to sacrifice it or whatever. There is no provision for not being able to sacrifice a card. So, yeah, yeah. That is where we are right now as of March 15th, 2023. Obviously, if you want to take a look at these cards for yourself, go on over to Scryfall Search. They have it right at the top of the page, right underneath the search bar there. You can look at the cards for yourselves. And also, there's some really cool alternate art for each version of some of these cards. So, you know, talking about the Frodo and Sam versions, we have... Uh, an alternate art borderless version of them. Actually, is, is this a bundle? This looks like a bundle uh, exclusive. Anyway, um, of of the of the time exactly where the One Ring is dropped into Mount Doom with Gollum, you know, basically holding the ring, Frodo's holding his his wrist after Gollum bit off his finger, and Sam is just kind of there, you know, looking looking concerned. So it's a really cool four-art cycle between Frodo, Sam, Gollum, and the One Ring. Looks really cool next to each other, and these are definitely going to be uh, stuff that people are going to want to pick up. So yeah, looks awesome. This is going to be a cool set. I know that boxes are just going to be it's absurdly expensive. So again, folks, unless you really want to buy a box, sometimes maybe singles is the best way to go. But again, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I just hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you enjoy the Lord of the Rings crossover set. Anyway, if you enjoyed listening to this episode, and you would like to hear more of my thoughts on just Magic the Gathering in general, go on over to your local podcast outlet and download my show. Give it a great review if you really enjoy it, which I hope you do. And again, you can find a whole bunch of really awesome stuff over there all my EDH, CDH content, my Noah Brewer series. Yeah, so again, if this is your first time, this is a great time to start listening to MTG in Quarantine. If you're returning, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I really appreciate each and every one of you who listens because you are the reason why I do this podcast in the first place. So again, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, I'd like to utilize this opportunity to give another huge shout-out and thank you to all the awesome people who support me over at patreon.com slash mtgnquarantine. See a huge round of thank yous again to Mr. Big Benz, Nick S., Frugal Brutal, and Coach J. Row for supporting the show. If you'd like to help support the show and help me make more awesome content, and on over to patreon.com slash mtgnquarantine for more information. And I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the MTG in Quarantine podcast. My name's MJ. Have a great rest of your day, everybody.